Good morning, everybody. Welcome to our service at the Bethel this morning. We meet together to remember Jesus, the Son of God, crucified and risen and living now in our hearts as we wait in expectation for his coming again. As I was awake at dawn this morning, I can't imagine why, I heard the sound of the birds singing and it filled me with that sense of God's eternal passion eternal purpose and brought me and as I hope it brings you too to worship and we'll do that by singing our first hymn together. Let's pray together. Father in heaven in different ways we've heard you calling to us this morning and I don't know how that voice spoke to each one of these people here today. But I pray that you will turn our eyes inwards to rest in you, to leave aside the cares that we've brought, to hear what you have to say to each one of us in our worship, our learning, our fellowship this morning. I pray for our perception that as our eyes turn inwards we might find you within. A source of life within us that compels, inspires, fills us with longing and love. And that when we leave we might be refreshed and find new courage for the lives we lead. Amen. We have Tim Webborn with us to teach us and inspire us a bit later on this morning, and there are a couple of readings that Tim has asked that we listen to together. The first of those is from Psalm 1, and Nancy is going to come read that for us now. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walketh not in the way of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. For he should be like a tree, planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth its fruit in its season. Its leaf also shall not wither, But whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sitteth in the seat of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Nancy can do that from memory. I think the book might have been a prop. Um, Andrew Campion is going to come and share announcements with us about our plans and activities for the next few weeks. Morning, everybody. You're all well? Uh, lovely to see the Tim and, sorry, the uh, Webben contingent. I said Tim and all in one go. Tim and Sue and... Uh, Johnny and Andrew and everybody, very welcome 
to join us here at Salt Trafford this morning, this weekend. And it's good to see Matt, Kitchen and Amy as well with us. Hope you enjoy your time with us here as we praise and remember the Lord Jesus. And to anybody I've missed out, a warm welcome to you. So, we're aware of the following um, people who need our particular care and the prayers that we offer. Rose's mum, Doris, is very poorly at the moment and we think particularly of Hazel and Rose is caring for her at this time. Um, uh, Peter Burson has been unwell, he's been in MRI and um, understand that he's now feeling much better. Remember um, Sam Parker who is now leaving Bath Crescent and likes to move back up to Lake District so we pray for him in his own situation. Are there other things that people would like us to think about and remember for God in prayer this morning? Glad it's not feeling well enough to be with us this morning. So if you'd like to get in contact with Sam at his mum's Lake District, then Ruth has his address. I'd like us to spend just a few minutes in silence together thinking about those people that we've mentioned and you will have other people on your hearts and in your minds that you'd like to bring for God in prayer. So I'd like us to spend some time in silence reflecting on those people and bring them before God and then in a little while I'll try and draw our thoughts together. Father, you spoke to us this morning and said that just as a tree by water grows strong and is fruitful, we pray that we who dwell in you and bring your life into our hearts might grow and be strong. And because you promised to be faithful in this, please be faithful to all the people that we brought before you this morning. Heal and comfort. Be with those who care. Give them strength. When they lose hope and feel discouraged, when they feel that they have nothing left to give, be a source of strength to them too. And help us to find comfort that you are our eternal God. You have been and will always be and that our end and our beginning and those of those we love are all safe with you. Amen. as we draw strength from God and his law we find our thirst satisfied by Jesus and we'll think about that in the next hymn that we sing together I heard the voice of Jesus say behold I freely give the living water thirsty one stoop down and drink and live Jesus
Tim's asked that we also hear reading from Genesis chapter 26, and Dave Brickhouse is going to come and read that for us. Genesis chapter 26, and uh, reading from verse 1 to verse 16. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the earlier famine of Abraham's time, and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands, and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and kept my requirements, my commands, my decrees and my laws. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister, because he was afraid to say, She is my wife. He thought, The men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca, because she is beautiful. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife Rebecca. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she is really your wife. Why did you say, she is my sister? Isaac answered him, Because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the men might well have slept with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people, Anyone who molests this man or his wife, shall surely be put to death. Isaac planted crops in that land, and the same year reaped a hundredfold, because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich, and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, Move away from us. You have become too powerful for us. Morning everyone. It's nice to be with you all. Um, I don't know if you were up at 10 to 5 this morning, but I was, like Richard. He heard the birds singing. I heard the wind howling. And it was through the house. And I came to the conclusion, Lizzie's left the window open somewhere. That was what I was doing at 10 to 5 this morning. There we are. So Sue, Sue got up and she sorted it for me. So that was great. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, we're now January the 22nd. Auspicious day in, in my calendar. And uh, we're 22 days into 2012. You kind of snap your fingers and it's almost flown by, hasn't it? 
you know, you're out celebrating New Year's Eve and suddenly, here we are, nearly a month into 2012. It's going so quickly. And of course, in terms of the readings in the early part of the year, you've only got a blink and we miss so many superb readings, don't we? You miss two days in the first week of January and suddenly you're well past the flood and you're into the days of Abraham. You think, oh, I've missed so much. You blink again, and then you suddenly find yourself like today. We're in the days of Jacob and Joseph. And before we know it, January's gone and we're into Exodus. You think, gosh, so much has gone by. So the readings in January was my first thought, that they are absolutely superb. And two readings stood out as I was thinking about exhortation this morning. They stood out to me that show us how important it is to be able to be near water. Two readings that show us how important it is to be near water. First of these was Psalm 1 that we read, and we read together that blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. And we're told that he's like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water. He produces fruit when expected. He will not fail, and he will prosper. It doesn't mean he'll get rich, it means he'll work his way forward and make progress in his life. So he produces fruit, he will not fail, and he will prosper. That's what a man is like who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, like a tree planted by rivers of water. And I thought about a river, and a river to me is flowing. It's something that is fast-moving, isn't it, the river? Hardly ever you see a river that's still. It's always moving, it's fresh, to be enjoyed in an exciting and ever-changing environment. So the river there in Psalm 1 speaks to me of movement, of vitality, of sparkling uh, and exciting environments. That's the water that we find in Psalm 1. But when we look at Genesis 26, as we've just read, there's more water there, isn't there? It was in a well. It was down the bottom of the well. You've seen a picture of a well uh, up on the screen earlier. And we're told there that Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. And I thought about the well there, the water that's in the bottom of the well. Unlike the river, the water at the bottom of a well is still. It's cool. And it's still vital for life, just as it was for the tree. And it's a resource that's sitting there, if a water can sit, um, but it's down the bottom of the well and it's just waiting to be developed. So that's the water at the bottom of the well. So we've got a wonderful contrast there in those two little readings that we've already had been and gone in our lives, for this year at least, of a river on the one hand where the water is fast flowing, it's exciting, it's always on the move, and the well, which is still a resource to be uncovered and used for the key essentials of life. So I thought a little bit more about these two types of water and the circumstances in which we find them. And rather than talk about Psalm, I'd like to talk about the Genesis reading. And the reading we saw there told us that Isaac dug again the wells that his father Abraham had originally dug. And I thought about Abraham a little earlier in this month. And we're told in Hebrews, aren't we, that by faith Abraham dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac, 
and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So there's Abraham, Isaac's dad. And you and I are familiar with the promises that were given to Abraham. There's one for you on the Thursday night. And I don't know if you think, like I've always thought until recently, that when Abraham was asked to leave her and so on, he did it, just like that. And we always think of Abraham as a father of the faithful who was doing what God said and immediately got up, left and went somewhere that he knew not. I don't think it was like that at all. Having spent time studying Abraham and the record in Genesis, I've come to the conclusion that it took almost 50 years, 50 years for Abraham to fully obey that command of God to get up and go. 50 years. He was 100 by the time he actually fully obeyed God. But that's another story. But what we do find is Abraham in the land and he has become a nomad, wandering from place to place, living cheek by jowl, on the edge. That's Abraham. His nomadic life was dependent upon finding water, uncovering water and using water, whether it was a spring or a well, and they of course are featured an awful lot in his story. He'd left Ur, which was on the Tigris, the Euphrates, fast flowing river, and now he's in the desert land having to find water for himself, either by the odd spring and wadi, or by digging a well. And the wells feature so much in the early chapters of Genesis. Remember before um, Ishmael was born, she was being taunted and despised by the family. And Hagar fled. And we're told in the record that she was found by an angel of God who revealed himself to her. And the eyes of Hagar were opened. And I don't know why she hadn't seen it before, but God opened her eyes and there she saw a well of water. She hadn't seen it there before. There it was, a well of water. And it was called, by a funny name, Beer Lahe Roy but it means the well of the living one who sees me. And that's a pattern that's repeated throughout the early chapters of Genesis. Where there was a well, it seems to be that it was to do with some sort of circumstance, and so the ancients gave it a name. And on this occasion it was Beer La Roy. And later, when Hagar and Ishmael were banished from Sarah because she was abusing them, and you know, it was all very, very nasty and unhappy in that family. Uh, when they were banished from Sarah, again, God's angel found them in the desert, and again, Hagar's eyes were open to find a well, which was there all the time. She just needed to look up and see it, and they found water in the desert. And so, right the way through the story, we have these uh, wells that appear, and they are important because they mean life and sustain life. And of course, Abraham, at some point in his life, spent many, many years living in Philistine territory. Don't often think of that, do we? Abraham spent many years of his life living with the Philistines. And he dwelt at a place called Gerah, about eight miles south of Gaza. 
and he was living literally on the edge. He was on the edge with the Philistines. He was on the edge in terms of material well-being. He was on the edge with regard to the water. He continually had to keep moving to find water. Once he'd exhausted the wells, he had to move on and dig more. And uh, he dug wells in order to survive. Whilst he was living on the edge, we know the story, he tried to mislead the local king about his wife. And later, we find Abraham having a dispute, a quarrel, with the local king about a well. You know, he dug the well, but the servants of the king were quarrelling about it, and Abraham got involved with the king, and they settled the matter with a covenant and a feast. Uh, And they settled it by oath, and the name of that well was called Beersheba, the well of the oath. So that's the background then to Genesis 26. You might like to turn to that chapter now, because I'd like to pick up the story. Um, This is the story of Isaac, as we've read, chapter 26, and it's all about wells, water. And the first Isaac action, if you like, in the scriptures in chapter 24, and verse 62. And uh, we meet Isaac, where was he? He was down at Beer Lahe Roy. Oh, he was actually down at the well of the living one who sees me. I don't know how long he'd been down at this well, but probably a long time. What was Isaac thinking about going down to this well? What was uppermost in his mind that he found the need to go to the well of, as it were, the, the mother of his stepbrother? Was he perhaps thinking about, where am I going to get a wife, or where am I going to go in life? What am I going to do? I'll go down to the well of history. I'll go and find something, some, some connection with being down at this well. And it was whilst he was at the well that he got the news that the servant of Abraham, his dad, was on his way back from goodness knows where to bring him his wife, Rebecca. And Isaac had spent time down at this well that had been featured in his family's history and then he finds that he has the good news of a wife. Beginning of chapter 26, we find Isaac on his way down to Egypt. He was actually stopped from going down to Egypt by an angel. Does that remind you of somebody? Just like his old dad. He was on his way down to Egypt because there was a famine in the land. And Isaac, it seems, was also living life on the edge. He needed wells. He needed water. And on this occasion he thought, well, I've got to go to Egypt to get that. And we find that he was there in a place called Gera, where his dad was. A little later in the chapter we've read this morning, we're told that Isaac too tried to mislead the local king about his wife, because she was so beautiful. Does that remind you of somebody? Just like his old dad. And a little later in the chapter we read that he too had a quarrel over disputed wells. You kind of think, you know, this is all coming full circle, isn't it? We've read about this, we've talked about this to do with Abraham. And he had a dispute over a well. And it too was settled by a covenant, an oath. And that well was called, again, Beersheba, the well of the oath. So we've got Isaac coming full circle. 
it almost seems as though all these circumstances of Isaac's early life are repeating exactly the circumstances of his old man, his dad, Abraham. Everything we've read about is what happened to Abraham. I thought, there's got to be something about Gera somehow. So I looked it up in my concordance and guess what I found? The meaning of the name of Gera, anyone know it? It means circle. I thought that was amazing when I read that. Wow. There's a little hidden message there. Gera means circle. And for Isaac it was. It was coming round full circle, doing exactly everything that his dad had done. Verse 18. Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. He called them by the names which his father had called them. What a stunning verse that is. I was reading that thinking, wow, that is telling me something for my life. What is it that it's telling me? Isaac's gone back to the same wells of his father and he's reopened them. He's found that wellhead and it's been full of earth and other bits and pieces if you read the Message Bible. And his servants had dug down deep to find the water that was at the bottom and they'd got rid of all the earth that was in the way and all the rubbish and stuff that the Philistines had put down there. And they've dug up and opened again the wells of his old dad. And we are told that Isaac not only found the water that his dad had drunk from, but he calls them by the same names which his dad had called them. We don't know what those names were, but isn't that amazing? He calls them by the same names that his dad had called them. And the experiences with the Philistines after this are enshrined in the names of the wells that Isaac digs. Anger quarrel and then room enough to live. That's another subject that, again, giving these wells names. I wonder what names Abraham gave to the wells. We're not told any of that. But I wonder what names he gave them. So, Isaac the well digger. Abraham the well digger. Like father, like son. That seems to me to be a message that's hidden in these few verses. So, how do we apply what we have read and thought about to our lives today? Well, the first application goes something like this. Surely, we, like Abraham and like Isaac, are living in a world. We're living in the world, I should say. We're living on the edge. All of us are living life on the edge. That edge is in our office, it's in our school, it's in our computer room, it's in the dentist. It's at home, it's on the streets, it's down the local club at lunchtime, whatever it might be, we are all living on the edge. And so we, like Abraham and Isaac, need spiritual water in the Word and the Spirit of God. Which of course is what the water stands for. So we see Isaac following in the footsteps of his dad. I, I guess there was a lot of attraction and safety in Egypt for both men, wasn't there? There was a famine. There was no water to be found. There was no food to be found. I know, we'll go to Egypt. Abraham went to Egypt. Isaac was about to repeat the same effort and was stopped by the angel of God. 
Then we have the episode with Abimelech, the local king of the Philistines, in both circumstances. Dreadful, really. You know, Abraham lying, or half lying. Isaac certainly lying, in order to gain some advantage. And then in both cases, we see them concentrating on the digging of wells where they were. So what do we learn from that? What, what's that message for us? I would suggest that we ourselves need to learn from the past, don't we? Isaac had to learn from his past. He knew the story of Abraham, his dad. And we see Isaac repeating some of the story of Abraham. And he was only stopped from going down to Egypt by God. And so it seems to me that there are some mistakes and failures that we are aware of in our own experiences in life. We need to avoid them. We need to avoid making the same mistakes and failures. The famine incident. There are some successes and triumphs as well in our lives and we need to learn from those and repeat them. Which is what Isaac did with the wells. And that, to me, is the main lesson from this, this little sequence of events. We need to learn from the past to avoid the mistakes and failures and to repeat the successes and the triumphs in perhaps different circumstances that we find ourselves in. So Isaac, we read in verse 18, goes back to the wells of his father. And just like Isaac, we too, for our spiritual resource, need to go back to our roots, I would suggest. To walk in truth, as John writes. Truth has become an old-fashioned word among us, hasn't it? It needn't be. It's good enough for John. It should be good enough for us. To walk in truth. And all that that means. To reopen the wells of truth. To reopen the wells of truth. To drink the principles of salvation. To pour out the cup of the hope of glory that we all share. So the question follows, doesn't it, from that. Where do we go for our wells of water? Think of the Bible hour. Think of Bible class. Think of your coffee morning. Think of Bible reading group. Whatever it is that the church you belong to has to offer. Are you there? Is the first question. Because you cannot hope to draw water out of a well if you're nowhere near the well. Are you there? What about the content of that well of water? What sort of content does your Bible hour give you? What sort of content does our Bible class provide? What sort of um, thoughts do we gather from whenever we meet together as a church? Are they wholesome? Are they good? Are they perhaps drawing upon the things of the past? David and Lizzie have got a little piano at home and on it is Ewald's songbook from 1999. He has no idea about this, but it's got his name in the front front cover. And I was intrigued by the title of that, Spring Harvest Music Book. And it was, I think I've got this right, In With The New and In With The Old. And I was really struck by that because I expected to say, out with the old. But it didn't. 
in with the new, in with the old. I think there's a lesson there for us as well, that we need to reopen the wells of truth in our lives, the old stories, the old uh, truths, the old beliefs, and bring them alive. Dig down deep. Get those uh, truths up. Bring them out into the open. Share them. Rejoice in them. uh, And be excited by them again. As well as the new wells, the new sources of water, equally important to combine the two, depending on our circumstances. So how do we dig for water together in this place at Old Trafford, at Newbury? Well, it requires focused effort, doesn't it? It wasn't just one man who dug the wells, it was all of the servants of Abraham, all of the servants of Isaac. They dug the wells. There was a shared workload in digging up the water from deep underground. There was an individual contribution and together they got down to the water. They, they got rid of the earth. That's probably telling us something. They get rid of the earth and everything that was stopping up these wells, make sure they could get down to the water and bring the water up. And I think, again, it, it uh, speaks wonderful things for us to reopen these old truths, to make them spiritually alive and powerful, the foundation of life in this desert place, and source of refreshment of our life itself. I don't know what you thought of that old wellhead uh, on the screen there. Uh, it didn't look much, did it? A wellhead. I don't, I've never seen a wellhead in life, apart from a wishing well, you know, at a shop or something like that, at Christmas time. Um, it's normally got coins in it. But, the wellhead doesn't look that much, does it? You know, it kind of looks not very well kept. Surely there's not much underground in that wellhead. You look around our community and there are lots and lots of wellheads all over the place, aren't there? Some of them look nice, others don't look so good. But that's not really the point. The point is that they are all wellheads and if we were to dig down deep enough underneath, we'd find a source of life and of water in some shape, way or form for our circumstances. A fantastic resource under each of these wellheads. We look around at Old Trafford, it might not look a good wellhead. We look around at another meeting, you might think, oh, that looks a bit better. So I'm not putting you down by saying this, but I think you get the message that we all look different, don't we, on the outside. And there are many churches, many wellheads that really don't look that good at all. We could probably name quite a few. Um, But the point is, that's not the point. The point is, it's what's underneath. If we're all prepared to uncover what's hidden underneath and bring it to the surface and above all, use it. So in one sense, the lesson from chapter 26 is about the quality of our Bible time together. And it's really about us as individuals, isn't it? How we read our Bibles what we can find there. It's all about uncovering perhaps former truths and new truths and using them in our life. And it takes individual time and effort and a willingness to get a spade out and dig. And then when we've done that, to do it and to share it with our brothers and our sisters and our friends. So that's the first application. It's all about practical things. All about quality of our Bible time together and what we do with it. And lastly, the second application is more of a spiritual one. I've got four little passages here from Isaiah which are all to do with wells and water. First one. With joy you will draw water 
from the wells of salvation. Isaiah 2. A man will be as a hiding place from the wind and a cover from the tempest, as rivers of water in a dry place, as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. Isaiah 32. I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. They will spring up among the grass like willows by the watercourses. Isaiah 44 You shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail and satisfy your soul in drought. Isaiah 58 So water for drinking is one of the symbols of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. Water for washing is a symbol of the word of God. And both came from the wells of Abraham and of Isaac. Just as water satisfies thirst and produces fruitfulness, so the Spirit of God satisfies our inner soul and enables us to bear fruit. Jesus spoke to a woman, didn't he, by a well, the well of Sychar. And he said, whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Turn, if you would, to conclude to John chapter 7. I just want to share a little picture here to bring our thoughts to a close. John chapter 7. So, Jesus in John 4, at the well of Sychar, was talking about an artesian well. Water will come up. But the artesian well that's promised by Jesus at the well of Sychar, in John chapter 7, has now become a flowing river. If we will turn to Jesus. Verse 37. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, Let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. By this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So what Jesus is saying to us is that we can not only drink the living water from Jesus, the word made flesh, our resource, but we can become channels of living water to bless a thirsty world. And so we see there in those few little verses a picture whereby Jesus offers us living water and eternal satisfaction. Of course, It all leads to this point. And in that day, writes Zechariah, it shall be that living waters will flow from Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea and half of them toward the western sea. In both summer and winter it shall occur 
these living waters will go all over the world, all the time. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be. The Lord is one, and his name one. For those who recognise their thirst, who hear the voice of Jesus calling, who become his disciples and follow him, who die to their old way of life through the waters of baptism. Jesus says this, Share this meal that you may remember what I give out of love for my people live in me. And so as we come to share bread and wine together, to remember Jesus, to proclaim his death and resurrection as we do so, let's sing together from Praise the Lord 63, and then Alex will come and lead us in our prayer as we give thanks for the bread that we share together. God of love, we thank you for this simple meal that reminds us of the death and more importantly, resurrection of our Lord. And Father, there are two, two old things that inform to me the ongoing renewal and restoration that this meal reminds us of. I can still hear, Lord, your voice in the wilderness, calling out of a burning bush to Moses, saying, You stand on holy ground. I have a purpose for you and a place to take you. And I can still hear the voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way of the Lord. God of love, help us to have those living waters flowing from us as we do everything that we can to prepare the way for the second coming of the King of our hearts, the King of this world, the Lord Jesus, who we remember now. Help us to live our lives in a way that brings your kingdom now as much as we can and help this sharing of time together in this bread that we now all take a piece of help that to encourage us in our journey with you Amen hear Jesus speaking to you, saying, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and anyone who comes to me, I will never turn away. I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. 
it is his will that I should not lose even one of those he has given me. I should raise them all up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who sees the Son and has faith in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. I am the bread which came down from heaven. Dear Father, we, we thank you for your wonderful gift of love. Lord, we pray that we will not go down to the Egypts of this world. Lord, that you will lift us up that we'll avoid the worries and the anxieties and the things that, that get in the way. That instead we will seek the true and living water of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to, to go to his well, to, to drink and to live with him, to drink that living water that will never cease. And Lord, as a result, find the eternal rest that you have promised. Help us to, to seek that rest like the woman that we were reminded of this morning. Lord, to come to know you and to come with, with empty hands, as empty vessels, to receive from you. Lord, in Jesus' name we pray that you'll bless us as we drink this wine now, in remembrance of your dear Son. Amen. Jesus says, In very truth I tell you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you can have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. My flesh is real food, my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Our time together is almost at an end. We've heard this morning some old stories speaking to us about the past and yet speaking to in, into our present too and pointing us forward to the future as well. And there is none older than God himself. And it's God and his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and an amazing future that we can't grasp really or comprehend that Daniel saw in a vision. I was still watching the visions of the night and I saw one like a human being come with the clouds of heaven he approached the ancient in years and was presented to him. 
sovereignty and glory and kingly power were given to him so that all peoples and nations of every language should serve him. And his sovereignty was to be an everlasting sovereignty which was not to pass away. And his kingly power was never to be destroyed. And it's about past and present and future and the coming in glory for a second time of our Lord Jesus that we sing about in our last hymn today. It's from Praise the Lord. It's 148. Blessing and honour, glory and power be unto the Ancient of Days. And after we've sung this, please stand together as we pray as our worship ends. Father in heaven, when our lives feel precarious, when we feel as though we're living on the edge, as though we're torn in two between the call of your kingdom and the call of the kingdom of this world. Help us to dig deep. To dig deep from your word. To draw power from your Holy Spirit. To find, once again, that spring of living water welling up within us. Help us to channel that, Father. Not for our own ends only, but as a witness to all that from beginning and end, past, present and into our future. You are Lord, your Son Jesus is our Saviour and he will come again to bring the eternal life that we taste and see now in meeting together in fellowship in the life of your church. Father, I pray, go with us now as we part. Keep us safe in whatever our days and weeks hold. We pray that wherever it might be, we will meet again safely soon.